Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Frederick Chang, a.k.a. Fred, is a French-born filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. His films have premiered in Venice, Toronto, Sundance, Telluride, CPH Docs, and Tribeca. His most recent film, Invisible Beauty, was co-directed with trailblazer activist Beth Ann Hardison and released by Magnolia Pictures. In 2019, Fred directed the documentary Halston, a CNN Films production and Amazon original. His award-winning directorial debut, Diorni, was released in 2015 by The Orchard. Previously, Fred has served as the co-director of the 2011 acclaimed documentary Diana Vreeland, the Eye Has to Travel, which the New York Times called dizzily enjoyable. He also co-produced and co-edited Valentino, The Last Emperor, the 2009 hit documentary shortlisted for the Best Documentary Oscar. Fred has served as a filmmaking mentor for Queer Art, a nonprofit LGBTQ plus arts organization. He holds an engineering degree from France and an MFA in filmmaking from Columbia University. Fred, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm on the West Coast right now. You're on the East Coast. We met on the East Coast. Congratulations with your new film that was at the Tribeca Film Festival recently, Invisible Beauty. I had the honor of meeting you years ago at the Tribeca Film Festival. Wow. I mean, we're just going to be all over the place here, but you're just like a fashion icon director. And I just, I like (laughs) admire you greatly. It's so wild because I saw Diana Vreeland before we met and I was at Gloss Studios, you know, with our mutual friends and uh, maybe we can dabble in there a bit, talk about post-production, but it was like we were synergetically, energetically connected before we met. And then, you know, I was at the red carpet and we were talking about uh, your film then. So maybe we'll just start um, with the origins of you, like where you're from and what was your inspiration? What was your call, your intuitional hit that you were going to be a filmmaker? <laughs> um, that's a good question. And, um, you know, like you said, like I'm a fashion guy or whatever, icon director, <laughs> you know, I never think of it like that. I don't really think of myself as a fashion person. Actually, I'm not a fashion person. And, you know, I rarely go to like fashion shows or uh, fashion events. But somehow I've become that guy that covers the fashion world because I've gotten access to it and I I sort of fell into it. So let me backtrack a little bit. Like I, so I grew up in France, in Lyon, and then I moved up to Paris to do engineering studies, (laughs) if you can believe it. And I did that for several years, but I knew I was going to be a, I mean, I didn't know I was going to be a filmmaker. I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker and I had like grown up, you know, like watching films, being totally fascinated. It was like my little corner. Um, I remember going to the public library and they had DVDs and VHS tapes. And every week I would get like a different director. Like I would do all the Fassbinders and then I would do all the Scorsese and then I would do, and you know, I just, uh, it was my own kind of film school, you know, at home just doing that. And um, I didn't know that it was possible to go to film school because no one in my family was remotely, you know, artistic or involved in the arts. So it took me a long time to actually get it together. But um, I eventually, I took the exam for the French film school and I applied to some American universities for MFAs and um, and I got in. I got into Columbia University so that's how I really, it was like a big shift in my life. I moved to New York and um, film school was amazing and, and then I started working on uh, a film that my friend was producing called Valentino The Last Emperor. So that was fashion 
and I didn't really know. I mean, I sort of paid attention to fashion a little bit, you know, like, but I discovered the world of like Paris couture and ready to wear. And we, we covered Valentino for like three years. We really trailed him with, um, you know, the director, Matt Turnauer. And I became kind of like his um, sidekick because um, I was in film school or finishing film school. I was, I was uh, very available, very cheap. And um, I knew how to do a little bit of everything. <laughs> like, I knew how to edit and shoot. And I got along with Valentino, <laughs> who thought I was, uh, I would make, he, he said like, Fred, you would make an incredible drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> would tell me that. I was like, well, if you make a gown for me, yes, sure. <laughs> and you get to keep it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was kind of like my real life film school, um, being on that shoot, making that film with Matt Turnauer. And I really just kind of seeing how a feature film was um, made and kind of like discovering the story as you go along. Because when we first started shooting, we didn't know that Valentino was going to retire mm. and that we were going to see it, you know. And that was going to become us, our story. So it taught me a lot about documentary. And then after that, I, um, I, you know, I got a call from Lisa Imodine of Vreeland, who's uh, Diana Vreeland's um, granddaughter by marriage. And um, she wanted to do a film about Diana Vreeland, her grandmother. Uh, I mean, the grandmother of her husband and um, this legendary fashion uh, editor who was um, Harper's Bazaar then editor-in-chief of Vogue, and then at the um, Costume Institute. So that was an incredible experience, too, because I got to not only edit, you know, be the, the main editor with um, my friend and colleague, uh, BJ Perlmutt. We co-edited, but also co-direct. I mean, we had like a lot of, we had a very tight collaboration with Lisa, and she gave us a lot of, she trusted us to tell the story, and, and it was great. That's when we worked at Gloss, and which you mentioned, which is um, a studio in New York where we did our all of our editing, and then the, the photos where they do photo retouching and coloring, and um, we had a lot of of that to do, but also they were producers on the film. So, you know, and Gloss is where I did the next two films too. I mean, um, so Magnus and Raja, the two owners, were very supportive, and they, they gave me office space for Joe and I. They did the color for Joe and I. And for Halston, same thing. They even came in with some capital to uh, support us. So, so that's how I sort of fell into fashion. Um, you know, one film after another, people come knocking on your door and, you know, you resist because you don't want to be the fashion guy. I personally think that fashion, you know, is, is not the world that I want to evolve in. But there are incredible human beings in fashion. And I'm, I'm interested in the human story. And so when you encounter a Dinah Vreeland or a Raph Simmons or, you know, like the seamstresses who work in the atelier at Dior, you sort of fall in love with these human beings. Same thing with Beth Ann Hardison, this new documentary that I'm making. So they've been very different. I have to say, like, each film is its own unique adventure and kind of, um, it feels very different. I don't know. It's not for me to say, but at least making it, it feels like a, a totally different film each time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many elements when you're directing a film because it's the human connection with the people and it's documentary style. However, when you have something like Halston, it's scripted, you know, and so you're working with actors. And so you cross between the documentary and then you know, into Hollywood with, you know, it being uh, a scripted yeah. movie. We, yeah, we had some scripted scenes that were really fun to stage and write and direct. And Tavi Gevinson was playing a role in it. Um, she's an incredible blogger and actress now. She's on 
Gossip Girl and all that. So it was fun to push the boundaries. You know, it's like documentary, but I managed to slip in some more fun stuff that I wanted to do that had to do with film noir and setting the stage for Halston's story and, you know, kind of like setting the tone with this uh, these references to, you know, Citizen Kane and just um, a lot of films that I felt were appropriate because I, I always thought Halston's story was kind of a mystery thriller and a business story, a, a business thriller about this empire that, you know, that he built and then lost. And mm. so it's very much like Citizen Kane. So I was lucky to have like, you know, the trust and the kind of deep pockets of CNN film and Amazon, Amazon uh, originals. And so I was able to, yeah, to make a documentary that's a little more than a documentary. Yeah, and just the aesthetics and the quality in each one, it's its own period, you know, and how you capture the essence, um, the aesthetics and, and the color in each of the films. Like, they're so colorful that like all the films I've seen that you've done, they're just like, they're all so specific and they have this energy that just pops off the screen that's so raw and edgy, but it's like sleek, but it's just, it's raw, you know, and, and it captures the energy and, and the excitement of of, you know, the fashion times and, and the times of those periods, you know, specifically, you know, Halston, you know, in, in that era during the 80s. Yeah, thank you so much for phrasing it that way. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, for me, it's like immersive, you know, like going to the movies, ever since I was a teenager, for me, it's all about being transported to another world and being in someone else's shoes. And, you know, it has to do with like empathy. And, and so I'm trying to push the viewer to really just relive all of these events and kind of like, you know, be transported somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I just want to circle around real quick because you're talking about gloss and, um, you know, I've been there and they've given me tours, you know, of, of the different buildings that they got, the extension of like, you know, the coloring where they do it. And it's just, it's so wonderful. And I remember being there, I think it was in 2012 and I was seeing these like Vogue images and they were like, oh yeah, this is for the uh, Diana Vreeland, you know, documentary we're doing. And, and then, and then during another time, I was at um, the Chateau in, in LA and her grandson uh, was hosting a, a dinner and they they did an exclusive for the perfume for Diana Vreeland with Megan and Marcus. And it was a private dinner that I was invited to. And Timothy, her son was there and I became friends with his partner. So we yeah. spent some time together during that time and mm -hmm. it was fabulous. So we got to know each other one on one. You know, it's been a while since I've seen them, but it was just like how everything connects in the world. And, you know, I saw the film. So it's I feel Feel like I'm her in such a way with my imagination, how big and free spirited and, you know, people were, you know, through the film is like, you don't know if it was real or if it was just her imagination and extension or if it was real in her mind, right? Just to be around in the essence and the presence and hear the stories. I mean, you know, as a filmmaker, you know, when you're making each individual story, I guess we can pivot into the one you're doing now, Invisible Beauty. What's your process? You hear all these stories. So you meet all the people, you do your research, you hear all the stories, and then I'm sure there's so many. And then, and how do you piece that together? Together to tell the best story or the most important stories when you when you hear so many and you, you kind of get blown away like do you listen it all then like go to a lake and digest for a week and then and then <laughs> and then script it all down like what's your process as a filmmaker when you're hearing and researching these stories and then deciding how you're going to direct a film well the good thing about film and and that's why i gravitated to it is that it's a long time process it's a long long form kind of um, art form. A film like Invisible Beauty, the last one that I just made, takes, you know, three years. And if you count, you know, like I met Bethany even before that and we started talking about it 
a little bit before that, but I really started working on it maybe three years ago. Well, actually more than three years ago, three and a half years ago. The ideas sort of mature in your head and you have time to really think about it and to really just, uh, it's like a wine, good wine that sort of decants, you know, the, uh, you know, it's like it's um, the good stuff sort of is the stuff that remains and that, that is essential. And you, have, you can't rush the process. You have to be patient. And, and sometimes, you know, you always have an idea of like what the film will be like. And that's why you take it on. For Beth Ann, I was really hoping that I was going to do something collaborative and, and deep and authentic where her voice would be prominent and kind of um, and go very deep. And so... As soon as we decided to co-direct, you know, I had images. I remember writing in my notebook the opening scene of the film, uh, which is me asking her, like, how do you think the film should start? And um, and the two of us having a conversation about that. And, you know, that was kind of an instinct that I have that I wanted her to really genuinely uh, think about, like, how to tell her story, what it meant, and... Um, and the process of memory was very important. This is someone who's, um, you know, an older woman arriving at this stage of her life where she's looking back for the first time and she needs to tell the story to the audience. And so for me, it had to do with like these glimpses of memory, these glimpses of your life that flash by. And I wanted to translate that into a film form, a documentary form. So that's that's how we open the film. I mean, it's not the first, first scene, but it's like uh, really early in the film. It's just like her trying to figure out how to start the story and seeing all these different flashes of important moments or not necessarily important moments, but just, you know, memory can be a little random. So it's just uh, these flashes of beauty, flashes of emotion, uh, protest, anger, and all of that kind of... Um, swarms in your head and i wanted to put the audience kind of like again in the transport them into the head of beth ann hardison you know and and what it means to be her and to be reflecting back so speaking of this beauty icon who is beth ann hardison so yeah we should have started with that <laughs> because she's no, we like, like to, we like to tease people around here but you know she i met her when she was receiving an award for her advocacy work. So that's what she's become kind of um, very famous for in the fashion world as someone who has really changed the conversation around diversity in fashion and impacted so much the way we think about it. You know, now in 2023, you look at a fashion show, of course, you're going to see models of color. Of course, you're going to see a wide range. Advertising, same thing. You, you open the pages of Vogue, same thing. But young people <laughs> need to know that this was not always the case. And not so long ago, I'm talking about like 15 years ago, there was a big problem in the fashion world. And um, the um, sort of the opening of the Soviet bloc had... Um, a terrible effect on the the, the castings uh, all around the world because suddenly everybody wanted Russian and Eastern European models and they wanted a very uniform look, blonde girls, very skinny, no personality. It was all about kind of just being a coat hanger. And the first casualty was the model of color. So Bethan really spoke up and she was the one who could do that because she's been in the fashion world forever. I mean, she started as a model herself and she was one of the first black models to really come into the scene. And um, she has a very unique look. I mean, she she had, even when she was young, she was very athletic, boyish looking, short, little Afro. So she looked like 
and very dark skin, which was not easy in the late 60s, you know, for the fashion world to accept. And then um, after being a model, she was, um, I'm talking like a model who's like showing in Paris. She was at the Battle of Versailles, this iconic fashion show that took place in 73, where five American and five French designers um, sort of competed and, and the, the Americans won this sort of watershed moment. So she was part of that. She's the one who really brought down the house actually that night because she had such a walk, such a show-stopping walk that people threw their uh, programs in, up in the air. So she was, um, she had already made a big mark and, and then she decided to transition to um, being an agent. She challenged the industry by offering kind of not only a white model, uh, you know, great white models. She had great white models, but also um, Asian models, Puerto Rican models, brown, black models, all kinds, because that's what she found beautiful. And at the time, it wasn't really, the agencies didn't really, you, maybe you had an agency that was a black agency, but, you know, the main big agencies like Elite and all of that, they had less diversity and she really broke the mold and um, discovered and championed a lot of the great models of, of the 80s, you know, like um, Veronica Webb, um, Kimora Lee Simmons um, and Tyson Beckford, who is, you mentioned, he was like, he's still around. He was at our premiere actually two weeks ago. And uh, he's... Um, and the other lady was there too, the Simmons lady. She was there supporting. Kimora Lee Simmons, yeah. Yeah. yeah, saw her on social media promoting oh, it. Yeah. Oh, I should of, check it out because I haven't seen her account. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw um a lot of my uh, you know followers and people I follow and people here and there. They were really the African community was you know really showing up and supporting your film. It was great to see everyone come together. I mean, I I have an infinity for fashion, but when I connected with Tribeca and they gave me the list, like who do you want to cover? This was one of the most important things to my heart and soul, just like Halston was years ago. A few not years, but a few years ago as well. Because diversity is so important to me. I grew up Greek American. And so, you know, I, although I look like blonde hair, blue eyes or whatever, like I just, I always felt displaced in such a way. And I can only imagine the extent of, you know, the other diversity, you mm -hmm. know, that you mentioned. So for me, if I can hold space for African-American communities and I can hold space for Latina communities, I feel like it's my civil duty to do so. Like I would want people holding space for me. And if people perceive me in such a way, how people do, because they just do, I it just lights me up inside. Like I love culture. I love stories. I like hearing and caring and sharing. So like it was really important for me to uh, cover this film, you know, and, and just Thank to you. reconnect with you again. Yeah. You know, like I said, like my friends on the social media and and just some acquaintances of you know you know mm -hmm. some well-respected people in the industry it was neat to see them all come together to support your project and this yeah. story and and this beauty icon and i would have never known who she was and it's like so you you met in an award show like and so you just met yeah. and then had the idea or and it birthed or did someone introduce with the idea of this could be a possible thing so you know, like I did a short film for the award show. That's how I actually met Bethan because um, they needed like a three minute film to introduce her on stage. And um, I did that and I met her, uh, kind of fell in love with her and with the way she was telling her story. And, and uh, we, we, we did very quickly, I interviewed her for like five hours. So I got a primer on like 
what her story was. And then we kept talking over the years about Invisible Beauty because she had started a film called Invisible Beauty. It was very different from what we ended up doing. It was a separate film in many ways. It was a film about three models navigating the fashion world. And it was kind of an expose of the, the fashion industry three black models. And um, over the years, we kept talking. And I, you know, I told her that the film should be about her, that I was more interested in her, because to me, she was like Diana Vreeland, except she was alive, like she was there in front of me. So I could have access to her. And, and you know, it was a tremendous uh, gift. And a lot of people had told her that, you know, she should be the center of a film. And so eventually, the idea sort of progressed. And then um, after I finished Halston, that's when we really started reconnecting and being like, okay, now I want to do your film. That's what I told her. I want the next project to be Invisible Beauty, but I want you to do it with me. I want you to co-direct with me. That's the only way that I can do it. So, you know, she was a little <laughs> surprised. She didn't expect it, but she was pleasantly surprised. She was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, that's how we became the partnership. You know, for me, it was really about a partnership and a collaboration. And a lot of people tell me like, oh, weren't you afraid that she was going to, you know, control the project? Like the subject is going to just want to present themselves in a flattering way but not Beth Ann like I knew that Beth Ann was a very intelligent human being and also a very true human being she's I mean anyone who's known her or been to one of her uh, town hall meetings or press conferences she'll tell the truth you know whether you like it or not and she's gonna she was gonna do the same about herself and also like I knew that her I could get behind her message a hundred percent that was important for me to just kind of align myself with the subject if I was gonna going to be in the trenches with them you know yeah, I love that. And I mean, I, I think it's so prolific, too, because of everything you just shared. Uh, also, you know, when you hear stories, it's rare. I mean, there's some stories out there about the agent or the manager, right? But the lens of her, it's so unique in its own right. And so many people just would never know unless, you know, yeah. you made the choice to tell the story. But I hear the palate and the wine of, you know, of the transformation that you shared of like, okay, you had a little taste of it. You had a little sippy and then it like, you know, marinated, sat with you. You were doing Halston. And then when, you know, your full body of Halston was, you know, and you had a clearing of a canvas, you're like, oh, that tasted good. Like, you know, you kind of like, which were my tasters? And then you decided, you know, to take the next steps and to make this happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, you know, I'm a union actor, right? And so we have the union and this kind of like a, a baseline for certain standards in entertainment. And then with music, there's not. There's there's no contract. There's no union for artists, for musicians. So, you know, you as a filmmaker, are you a part of uh, the Directors Guild? No, I'm not. Or the Producers Guild? No, I'm not. Okay, so then even more of where I'm going to. Most people aren't connected or associated. So you have your education, you have your trust, your faith, your instincts, your human personal connections, the quality of your choices. And then you go and you make this partnership. It's an idea, right, that forms out of nothing. It's a creation that turns into matter. And to have this consistency and this stability, what are some positive attributes, you know, tools that you do for fellow filmmakers out there wanting this dream to make it more concrete? 
concrete to have a plan of action for short-term, medium-term, long-term goals. Because, you know, you see the start and we're, we're talking about some of these birthing ideas. And then there's the through line and then people mostly see the end. And then the gift is here hearing like the beginning of the birth of it. But going into the arc of the through line about making sure it gets made, like how do you pivot and some tools that you utilize to make this come into fruition? That's a tough one. I mean, I could talk about what works for me. I just work a lot. <laughs> There's no formula. You just have to do your homework. You know, um, if you really are interested in a subject, read everything that you can find about it. If you really want to break into a certain world, like try to educate yourself about that world. And then, you know, that's how I work. I'm, you know, some people are better at just kind of like fake it until you make it. Like, I'm not really that person, but you know, sure, you could do that. I think you have to be also very attentive to your own desires and your own instincts. I think, you know, when you ask me like, well, how do you know how you're going to tell the story? You have so much footage, so much information. That's what it's about. It's about listening to yourself a little bit and like what are you attracted to like oh you're ha you're having this reaction when you hear this story you're suddenly very excited like you have to pay attention to that that means something is close to the core of what animates you so you have to follow that more you know mm -hmm. um a lot of people are just kind of um maybe just uh more calculative and you know you can be calculated to a certain extent but you have to also listen to your passion and see when you're most passionate and follow that because, uh, you know, that's going to get you closer to where you need to be. And hopefully the industry will be ready to receive those passions, you know, when you present them. But at least you'll be true to what feels good to you, you know. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Great words of wisdom. Love all that. I really appreciate it. Uh, okay, so you do your research, you listen to your instincts, you know, listen to your your intuition, your inner voice of what makes you thrive for the long haul of the journey. And then what? Like, do you get a producer? Who do you call? Who's like the go-to person? You know, she's going to co-direct. You have it in your mind. So it's you working as a team. And then what are the next rollout of um, the team members before, you know, decide to start a shoot date or how many shoot dates it's going to be or what kind of camera you're going to use? You know, like, let's talk about some of those fun little details. All right. So what's the next step? Yes, you do need to get a producer. And I, it helps when, you know, like I haven't really had to look for a producer on any of the projects. Although that's not true. On Dior and I, I did have to find my producer, Guillaume, and he was a friend from film school. On Invisible Beauty, Bethan had the vision to ask Lisa Cortez, who is a very talented filmmaker and producer, and um, she was in the music world for a while. Bethan had known her for, for quite some time. And then she um, put us together and we decided to work together. But Lisa is like, she's a talented filmmaker in her own rights. Uh, she has a couple of films out now. One is on Little Richard and the other one is on uh, the space race, um, African-Americans in, in the space programs. And so she accepted. She accepted out of um, respect and admiration for Bethan. And I think, you know, and then um, she saw that there was something special about the collaboration, I think. And so she decided to go ahead with it. Yeah, when you talked earlier about kind of like, you know, all of your friends on social media in the african-american community posting about it i think it's like one of the main things with uh Ann is that i really realized i remember actually the day that i realized that how much of a following she had and how intense she's like a cult figure i mean not a cult figure in the sense that uh, i don't cult 
in English has a bit of a weird uh, association, but she's like, she's this icon. And um, I remember going to the Y, 92nd Street Y, she had a talk with Fern Malice. And at the end of the talk, and first everyone was like wrapped around her finger and like she had everyone laughing and clapping and, and nodding their heads. And then at the end, she was really mobbed by the crowd who was like in adoration of her. And I realized, I was like, oh, that was before we filmed, that was in 2019. I realized how beloved Beth Ann was in her community. And she's very important, especially for black girls and black models in particular. I mean, she's, uh, she's just done so much. She's created a community. So she's like the godmother of that community. So zoning in here, um, you know, a couple things. So how can people find you? I know you're not really big on social media. What's the best way for people to contact you, support you, uh, watch the films? Is there a website? So what, what are the best uh, social platforms in 2023? So, um, yeah, I'm not on Instagram, uh, but the film is on Instagram at Invisible Beauty Film. Somehow, like, I'm behind that Instagram, even though I don't know. <laughs> I've had to, like, train myself. But, um, and then I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. The film is on Facebook. So the film is in theaters right now. I'm talking um, end of September 2023. We're doing a big rollout this coming weekend. We'll probably be in 30 different cities or theaters. So hopefully, by the time you hear this podcast, it will still be in theater. Check it out. The best way to find out is either to go to our Instagram, at Invisible Beauty Film or at the website um, invisiblebeautymovie.com. And that will take you to the list of all the theaters. And, um, you know, eventually we'll be available on VOD. So people will be able to buy the film on iTunes and, um, you know, all the different platforms. That'll be probably in November. But I would love for people to see it in the film. It's really, I'm glad that you mentioned the colors and how vibrant it is. Because it's like, a, it's a, I think we did, everyone did such a great job at like the cinematographer, the colorist. And it's a very beautiful film to me. So... I hope people see it in its original form. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for showing up and saying yes. Congratulations on your success thus far. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such an honor to be a witness on your journey and I'll continue to support you and, you know, keep it rolling and making it happen. Thank you and good luck with all of your endeavors, your many endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. Great. I'll roll it out now. Uh, because of you, we're in the top 2% out of almost 4 million podcasts. Please, if you're a fashion lover, share this with a friend, share it on social media. Uh, if you haven't seen the uh, epic movies, please watch them. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out. <laughs>